Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 10th of May 2021. Let's start this report with my favourite pet subject of the moment, which is the May futures. I'm always talking about it. But as I record, there is 700 lots offered on May wheat at 215 and the short is bidding 207. So there's an £8 apart market. The reality of our predictions are obviously the short hasn't listened to our podcast and wise advice. We think there is the, you know, the ambulances are lining up, blood on the carpet any minute. So we shall see. If I'm wrong, I will be very publicly wrong and I'll confess all to you. But it's getting uglier by the day and the days are running out. If I was to give it an analogy in a farming sense, if you're a farmer who needed, who didn't have a combine harvester for harvest and you're going to the last sale, and you're going to the auction where all of the last combines are being sold and there's 20 combines or whatever and you know, you go in there and the, and the first combine is goes for X amount and you miss it by a pound or whatever and you miss the next one by a tenner and the next one by 20 pounds. You keep missing combines. Everything is like you bid just too little all the time. You end up in a position where you don't have a combine harvester. Now, if that happens, you know, let's just say you get to the last combine, the price really mattered. Oh, that's too much. I'm not paying that extra quid. Okay. Then you get to the point where you suddenly are facing the fact you can't have a combine harvester for harvest. So the last one, you bid up, you bid up, you bid up, and you still miss it. Then what do you do? You have to then turn around and go to the dealer, the horrid dealer, who bought combines cheaper than the price you just bid for the last one, and say, you know, can I buy one of your combines? I missed them in the auction. What sort of price do you think you're going to end up paying for that combine? And that's the kind of scenario we're in. If the offer was taken out on the futures by somebody, they said, well, do you know what, we'll have them. Whatever would the short do? That's the really intriguing thing. Whatever would happen then, there's more people demanding delivery of something that probably they haven't got. You should never get yourself into the position where you haven't got a combine harvester and you're a farmer and harvesters needing to start. That's the point. You should never get yourself into that corner. Anyway, the next thing I'll just talk about is taking the mickey out of Josh a few weeks ago. I called him the rain man and he was right it rained and doesn't it feel good everything's looking better if we ignore all the rest of the world the prospects for our crops have improved markedly and apparently tomorrow and i've got my motorbike mot so i've got to go out riding in the rain there's gonna be a good inch of rain as well which is great so this is good news some of the crops are beyond repair some of them are not in a great condition but this rain is without doubt going to do lots and lots of good it improves the potential from what was a bad place with some and some of the really good looking crops are definitely going to improve as well one note the crop is very much behind it's got plenty of time for there to be a heat wave and to catch up and to be a normal timed harvest but at this moment we still have not seen awns in the barley showing and we are in a position where it's been so cold even this week you know there's been frosts in the morning and we're well into may which is unusual for these days 
And while we're on the subject of unusual and late seasons, I had David Wagstaff, a listener from sort of Northampton, Cambridgeshire area, who contacted me to say that he had heard a cuckoo. So there is a cuckoo in the country in North Northamptonshire in the last, well, a week or so ago. So we still haven't heard one over in this part of the country. And so Cuckoo Watch says there is actually a cuckoo left alive in the UK. Right, now on to much more robust sort of price type issues. Let's start with the unbelievably priced oilseed rape. We're talking new crop prices specifically. There's ongoing frost on a plant that is flowering. It's ever-increasing prices. We have been trading new crop prices, securing £400 a tonne plus ever since it hit there, and the podcast records when that was and what our advice was. So we're very pleased with that. But the ones that we've traded in excess of £400 a tonne, we've been putting an option, a May-based option, for the following year, underwriting it for our farmers taking some money off the price they're receiving but giving them a profit and most of them are already in profit because the futures have just gone up and up and up so current value for harvest rape is i don't know 440 450 somewhere in that region so it is heady times but without doubt the strongest and safest thing now we're into a really good price base is to do the deal and have some form of option just in case the futures just keep going to the sky Yeah, that's great news from price perspective, but as I say, frosts on a very heavily flowering crop is cause for concern. What else has gone up? Everything. In effect, it is all about, at the moment, corn. Last USDA projected crop size in Brazil was 109 million tonnes. Okay. Now, the latest trade estimate to come out of Brazil itself is sub-95 million tonnes. Next week, the USDA have got to recognise the crop is smaller in Brazil. Now, they have a history of kind of like taking 2 million tonnes off when everyone else has taken 10 and then making up that someone else is growing a load more. So they tend to be more conservative with it, but it is going to be very, very glaringly obvious if they don't readjust the production of corn at this coming USDA next week. And so it's that, you know, you take, let's say, is 95 million, which is the top end of the most recent estimate. That's 14 million tonnes less corn being produced, which is why the whole thing's gone through the roof. So corn drags wheat up, wheat drags barley up, everything goes up. So feed barley, demand into port for old crop has gone up. You very possibly could be pushing 170x, certainly late 160s, because there's boats that people are bidding into as we speak, which is great. This is a great chance for people to tidy up seed surpluses, malting barley surpluses at a higher price than you traded malting barley for most of the year. So great. Ditch it. Get it out. Clear that shed. Sweep it out. Get rid of all those bugs. Make it immaculate. Ready for next year's harvest. Really positive. And new crop feed barley prices... Currently, I would put them in excess of £150 a tonne. We haven't seen prices like that for a long time. So it's great. Doesn't feel, with corn doing what it's doing and still going up, I don't see any rush to sell that. But it's, you know, it's great for it to be there. It's a very positive place. Moving on to feed wheat. Well, the old crop X farm price is not really keeping tabs with the futures shenanigans. So if you take May wheat as something that every merchant is long of and he can't really move it. If you're trying to sell May wheat, you're not likely to get someone being able to move it. I mean, there's a lot of merchants focusing very hard on getting tonnage moved that is bought very cheaply. There are contracts down to the 140s, which were traded a long, long time ago as the first trade of the year. And people have got to move those contracts without people saying, no, you can't have it. So there is a bit of a focus going on with that with the merchanting trade at the moment. Aside from that, X Farm in round figures is probably sub 200 pounds a ton 
okay, for May, for May movement, specifically May movement. For June, I would currently put it about 202x. Biggest, biggest price potential for old crop wheat for farmers, if they can be bothered, and bearing in mind it might be a late harvest, so it might give you a bit more time pre-harvest. I think there's going to be some fun and games on the July market. I think we're tighter for wheat than people realise. You know, about August, September time last year, a key trader made a statement that resonated with me because over here we kind of had half decent yield but they had an area in the Midlands that simply didn't have any crop at all because it had been flooded the autumn before and they said it isn't there it sounds very dramatic but I think there's a high chance the very tail end of this season before new crop French comes in it is going to get really tight for July wheat so currently we would bid 205x farm for July if I was someone who's prepared to play that game as a farmer I'd keep a little bit up my shirt just for then. You may well make another five or ten out of it. It could be really exciting just for two minutes at the end. In the meantime, if you can't be bothered with that, 205 July Price X Farm will bid you that. Moving on to new crop and feed wheat, I would say, yeah, prices are going up. We are benefiting from a bigger crop, as is the continent. Europe is looking in reasonably good condition albeit a bit behind, so the moisture's going in the ground. It is getting a bigger crop, not a smaller one, I think, uh, with this rain that's coming or has just arrived. So current value is being pulled up because of the corn story, which we told you about. So X farm November, round figures, 186, something like that. Well, if you're selling it for harvest, you'd get 180. Harvest movement to one person is any time in the next two or three weeks. Harvest movement to other people is the same day as you cut it. So ours represent straight into a store that day. And that's our value, 180. Okay, this week you've not got the soothing, melodic and hypnotic voice of me doing the interview. You've got Ben and Ian who are talking to a guest who visited us, which is Pete Smithers from the Amias Group, who are experts in OTC products. So enjoy Ben and Ian with Pete. It's a two-session podcast, so it's this week and next week that he's doing it. And I'll just be doing the market report. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 or email info at And now it's time for Farm Chat. Today we're joined by an old colleague and friend of Dewing Grain, who's not that old, but is an expert in futures and options, Pete Smithers. Hello, Pete. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Good to be in Norfolk. Yeah, you look pleased to be here, by the way. No, it's good. Pete's with us, and he's going to do a couple of recordings, I think. We're going to chat about options, because Pete's a bit of an expert, and we'll talk about a few other things in and around the market, and certainly what's going on in Europe on the Mm. agricultural side, because you know what's going on there, don't you, Pete? I wouldn't say know what's going on, but we have a bit of experience there, yeah. Just to give it some background, so Pete, we met you, we've had a few interesting pause moments, but we'll probably leave that there. We first met you when you were with ADM, 
Investor um, Services International. International. You are a futures broker. And we traded with you for three, four years, I think, something. But since you've moved to a business called Amias. It is Amias, Amias, yeah. You're doing sort of OTC-based products, aren't you, really? OTC stands for over-the-counter, which is effectively any product that isn't exchange-cleared. So it sounds a bit threatening sometimes to say OTC, but effectively what you're just talking about is an agreement that is dealt from counterparty to counterparty rather than clearing through a designated exchange but your speciality, I mean, we um, talked about Andrew living and breathing May Weech futures contract. You're an option guru, aren't you? I wouldn't say options guru because that'll make a lot of people that know more no, options no, than no, me no. laugh. But it, yeah, yeah I, that's kind of what I've tried to do with the grain industry since being in it six or seven years ago, trying to encourage people to trade options to be more specific with their risk. And that's interesting, isn't it, Pete? Because as far as you're concerned, options help reduce risk. Quite simply. That is obviously always the aim, but options are known for, by a lot of the trade, for doing quite the opposite. By the rest of the trade. Go on, what do you mean by that? Well, I think options have a reputation between some of the trade for being dangerous tools or risky tools, which is effectively the complete opposite of what they are. They allow people to be specific, but by being specific with their aims and their risks, they also allow people to take leverage. And leverage is the key thing because leverage is obviously a good thing if it goes the right way, but it can be a a bad thing if it goes the wrong way. And I think that is what the negative connotations that come with trading options in a lot of the UK grain trade, especially, they're used to sort of associating it with being a, a highly risky, highly dangerous thing to trade. Whereas, in fact, people like me are trying to sort of promote products, trying to encourage people that what we're trying to do is be safer or more specific with hedges. We're not trying to take unnecessary risk. We're trying to mitigate risk. Our day-to-day conversations with farmers, and we not saying we push options on growers, but we like using the options because it takes a lot of the risk out. And you can say to a farmer, here's a min price strategy. There's a really good price. You can go off and farm and... Let's hope for some more bunts later. But I did get a comment the other day. It's like, oh, don't one of them, that's, you know, that's speculation. Why should mm-hmm. I do that? It's like, I did say to the grower, you know, not selling your crop is speculation. Mm. If you sell it, it's speculation. I think taking all the risk out of it is buying the option. Mm. And he looked at me sort of slightly <laughs> goggled-eyed about it. But it's when you talk to people about being natural shorts and natural longs confuses people sometimes because mm. if you're a producer, you're, you know, you have a natural, a natural position. Long, yeah. If you don't do anything, then you are speculating. So, you know, it's about controlling risk and managing risk over the course and the lifestyle of the crop and the trade. Mm. And, you know, how you best do that. And that might be through options, it might not be. But for sure, it definitely pays to be fully aware of all the options, excuse the pun, that are out there. You're quite right, Pete. And actually having you on the podcast is very good because... As you say, people are afraid of options, but options actually, when you get down to the nitty-gritty, are fairly straightforward. They're limiting your risk, they're guaranteeing you a price, and they can be very clear. I think one thing I would say is I don't want to patronise anyone or tell anyone they're heavily wrong. As someone who's traded across quite a few different markets, and coffee and sugar and US grains and European grains and then obviously UK grains as well, I think there's always these old wives' tales and stories of someone who's blown up using options because most of the time there probably is someone who's blown up using options in that commodity and it doesn't matter whether you're a Colombian coffee trader in 2008 or you're a French cooperative in 2011. There's horror stories when it comes to people taking unnecessary risks of options. What I'm going to argue is that the lack of knowledge and understanding and the risk-taking that's dangerous is not the products themselves are designed to 
when traded correctly to mitigate risk, not to well, that's the other create thing. it. The vast majority of options traded, you'll never hear about because they're traded correctly, they do their mm. job, people are happy. As you say, it's the extremes where, oh yeah, I heard such and such lost his 42 houses and millions of pounds in a terrible coffee option. Yeah, it's always the worst story you hear and it's obviously, it's, it's pretty much always someone selling calls in a rising market to cover their costs they sell more and then sell more calls until eventually you can't ignore the phone calls anymore but from that aspect not to speak our farmer customer base but they're the out and out option traders but when we're talking it from a producer side of things the guys that are producing the grain and pure risk management it's pretty solid for them what you're trying to do is match risk versus risk so you're trying to offset risk with corresponding risk and if you go and you sell options, you sell premium, you, you know, receive the upfront benefit for selling risk over and above what physical underlying cash, whatever physical markets you've got behind it, then, yeah, of course, there's risk. Whereas what hopefully we can try and explain is that by using an option, you can more specifically hedge your specific risk on a specific commodity over a specific time over a specific range and you can be much more accurate with how you're doing that than you can by trading cash or then trading futures so that's the aim of the game i'm just going to step in here with a little bit of editor's privilege i'm listening to the conversation the guys had with pete and there's one thing i just want to make the point on which my two colleagues didn't and that is we only allow our farmers to buy options or in effect There's no risk of them ever taking a position that will lose their shirts, their houses or their farms. And in terms of our risk, we also purchase options from out of the trade to cover ourselves. It's too big a risk for someone like us and certainly for our farmers to ever consider selling or granting options. So just to make that point, uh, sorry for stepping in the way, boys. Back to you. It's just made me think, but I'll kind of touch on this because I think we want to do a double part out of this. You must notice a big difference between what happens in the UK and in the past you have accounts on the continent, different countries. Yeah, so I think for sure ADM, my background, six or seven years with ADM Investor Services International in London with Hannah and Ryan, who are still there now, doing a great job. Nice, Pete, nice. You know, well, they're paying me to say that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wish they were. A lot of our traditional client base there were obviously UK guys, but then also they're quite strong on the German and sort of Scandinavian side as well. Not so strong on the French side, mostly because we're not French. For sure, how things are done in the continent is different. I mean, it's a different market to start off with. I think it's quite topical, actually, talking about options at the moment, talking about risk, because volatility is nuts. I mean, I've been, how long have I been trading? 10 years? But for me, it seems like the volatility in these swings are the most extreme I've ever known. That's what we do is specifically options, whether that be exchange-traded options or TC over-the-counter options. And no matter what format you're trading them, you're fundamentally trading the same thing, which is volatility and how much the market's moving and whether you think is the market going to move a lot or is it not going to move a lot and which range is it going to trade in? But what we've seen in the US markets particularly, and obviously you've got EU rapeseed as well, which has done crazy things as well, is, is definitely some of the most volatile moves I've ever seen. I'm not that old, but I think you know most people use 2010, 11, 12 as a yardstick of mm. volatility. And I think I am just about old enough to remember that. So what we've seen recently is definitely familiar to those years. Um, you know, how it plays out over the next summer, because you've got to remember we're still in April. 
we haven't even hit the US weather market yet, and we're we, seeing this volatility. Well, you so. and I chatted about that earlier. I mean, we've seen these massive swings. The crop's not even in the ground, like US corn, yeah. US beans. Wow, think of a weather scare on that. It doesn't need to be a big one either. Every year there's a weather scare. No matter how good the crop is, there's still a weather scare mm. because there's always going to be a two-week dry forecast and the market's going to react to it. So how that's then played out this year, unless we see some freak, amazing weather forecast that you know continually gives um, bears what they want over the summer, and there's going to be another shock and another scare. Clearly in the bullish camp then probably much like ourselves then yeah i mean we put out a report and you don't have to be a customer to receive our reports we do a grains and a soy complex report every week and i'm happy to add anyone who wants to read that it would be great yeah i think we've called good, it fairly really well. good yeah it's not just me i have to shout out to my some of my colleagues that help write that so i think we called that one fairly well but i think what it has caught us out and most people i speak to and that includes some of the really sophisticated trade in the u.s is the timing of this trade has just caught everyone out no one expected it mm. to move this much this quickly so early on in the year there were several people thinking it was going to be a quiet april quiet lead into may and then then bang it'll be tail end of may june yeah well we did strategies that were similar to that that nov new crop soybeans for example that basically assumed the market was going to stay relatively quiet up until the summer when it would explode higher and it's caught not caught people on the wrong side because they're definitely the right side but they haven't quite got their market expectation I think in fairness, you guys don't live and breathe soybeans, but very closely look at that. I think you were reporting from when it was about $11.5, $12. You were suggesting about $15 beans, and you've mm. pretty much nailed it. Yeah, well, we've definitely got $15 beans now. So. All right, Ian. You know, I know you obviously can't stop telling Pete how he's nailed it. That's really it's the great. Big, uh, it's the big bundle of cash that's on the table. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the market volatility has been almost unprecedented this season going into new crop, hasn't it? Yeah, as I say, in terms of analogue years, years that are similar, then you've got to take 2013 and then 2011, maybe 2008, if you're looking at wheat. It's definitely unprecedented this decade. Yeah, and I think that's where everyone's just got to keep that in mind. And if you look at all those years, the highs is always in June and July mainly, July, August. If you look at the analogue years where we've seen these moves, the highs didn't come in April. No, yeah, OK. What's your thoughts on commodity super cycle that's been chattered? It's a big word. My colleague Phil is a big fan of the commodity super cycle. I think that's a bit beyond my level of speculation. I think it involves around so much macro input and Mm. general commodity. What does it technically mean? Are we talking super cycle as in terms of vol or volatility, or we talk about high values? I think super cycle was sort of a phrase that was invented in 2010, where post-financial crash you saw a lot of inflation hedging and a lot of macro money flow into commodities, which Mm. obviously saw the oil energy spike, but also that's when you saw soybeans in the high teens and corn trading at eight, nine dollars and wheat the same. So yeah, I think that phrase there was used to coin a a move higher that was macro dominated, but you did get the perfect storm as well of tight crops Mm. and tight balance sheets, which from a relatively loose point of view is exactly what you're seeing now. So, yeah, if you get the macro environment to meet up with the fundamental environment, then for sure you can call it a super cycle. Yeah, we've got to be a bit careful that... Oh, hang on, Ian's undoing his top here. This could, oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm not sure the mic was close enough to look get out, Look out, But it was, definitely, it was definitely his top and no other zip that he's Yeah, wearing. that was his zip top he unzipped, thank God. We've got to be careful we don't get too bullish. Yeah, if we get so bullish, our horns won't be able to get up. Exactly, yeah, you'll never get back to London. There are bullish factors out there. We've spoken about inflation... I think there is inflation creeping in in the economy, there's no doubt about it. It's just how that goes on for the next 
this being Friday. By the time you listen to this podcast, you will be in the future and you will know the answer. But at the moment, we do not know the answer. But yeah, it's going to be a big old number on the corn, for sure. It's probably been trimmed since Tuesday, but it's going to be a big number. So you've travelled all the way up to Norfolk on the COVID Express, Pete. Yep. So it's only fair that we let you try a beer. A butty batch. Yes. The name of the beer. Right. Ian, talk us through it. That's a very dodgy name, a butty batch. Sounds like some of your schoolboy days, Ben. <laughs> so we've got a, it's a butty batch premium ale, Y Valley Brewery, 4.5%er. I'm going to admit this is, I shouldn't say top up, but we did actually just go for a bit of a leisurely lunch and have a couple of warmers, didn't we? we a couple of that. local butty batches, yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, stop using that word. Now. <laughs> right, here we go. Oh, oh. So we've got the sound effects there. there. Go. Right. It's good that was the fifth take and this is the fifth <laughs> bottle as now. Ian's doing the pouring. Quite a light ale, a lot of fizz. So you'll probably doze off on the train, so that'll be good. Luckily, Liverpool Street's the last stop, otherwise... Uh, <laughs> You'd be in a lot of I'll trouble. probably end up on the way back out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm back in Norfolk. Here we yeah. go. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Here we go. Cheers. Oh, that's, that's quite light. Tastes like quite, a lager, to be honest. And quite quaffable, yeah. Mm. So with Amius Pete and obviously your specialist in options... What other markets are you looking at? Are you in all markets in around the world? or? Yeah, so obviously here comes the sales pitch, so apologies. I work for a company now called Amius. So what we do is we specialise in options OTCs and, and options brokerage in agricultural markets. And actually we're fairly rare in that we are a specialist OTC independent provider. And what I mean by independent is we're not part of a bank. Some of our biggest competitors are banks or other clearinghouses that have OTC sort of structuring arms to them. So to be a standalone independent company is quite rare. But our reach is everything from we've got an office in Singapore and soon to have an office in Australia. We're headquartered in London. Our biggest office is in London and our trade team is in London. And then we've got an office in Miami and North America in Minnesota and then also down in Brazil as well. So in terms of the globe, we're pretty well covered. Then in terms of products, we're pretty well covered as well. We are agricultural and soft commodity specialists. And that's our background. Everyone there is from that background. We do FX as well because it's obviously a natural complement to what we do. Yeah, of course. So our aim is to help clients find products that can help them manage and mitigate the risks of their commodities, soft and agricultural commodities businesses. And, and slightly spelling this out to obviously us in the trade tech, it's granted for understanding your customer base, but for the farmer listeners, your customers or clients are going to be consumers, they're going to be producers, they're going to be merchants. You will exactly, look after yeah. the full range. Yeah. yeah, so you've got everything from producer to consumer to trade, and we trade for all of them, whether they be big international trade houses that we, we help work with as a structuring arm to their own business, in their trade business or whether that is a Norfolk farmer or a Midlands feed compounder we work with the spectrum from growers to consumers excellent all right Pete we'll leave it there for this recording thanks sounds good thanks for uh, having me on thanks for listening make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter we are at Dewing Grain Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.